Hello, babies. <laughs> what is shaking? Is it your ass on the pole? Our last episode was all about finding pleasure in pole dancing, and I hope it helped you move past any reservations you may have had about going for something you had a limited perspective on. That's what I did when I started to explore a kinkier side of my sex life. About 10 years ago, when I started using dating apps, a lot of men were asking me to dominate them. And, you know, most of these requests were part of a racist fetish, right? Like a bunch of white guys thinking that because I'm black, that means I'm mean and I want to punish them or they have some sort of brown sugar fantasy. I wrote about this whole experience and I'll put the link in my description box. But when I was dealing with this, I decided to go for it. I found a guy that I was I thought I could be comfortable with. And it was very much an eye opening experience. He was my sub which meant that he did whatever I told him to. He was submissive to me. I was his dom. I was a very soft dom. You know, I know we have this idea of latex and like dungeons and things like that, but I like to reward with pleasure and not pain. It was such a, I don't know, just a revelatory experience, but it was also much more work than I thought it would be. Sometimes I don't want to be a dom. Sometimes I don't want to be dominant. Sometimes I want to be submissive. But for me to be submissive, that comes with a lot of unlearning. With my Black Christian Southern upbringing, being submissive meant following along behind a man and letting him make all the decisions simply because of an accident of his birth. If he's a man, he somehow automatically knows what's best. And... No, I could not do that. (laughs) Absolutely not. I just refused. (laughs) I have seen women driven to the poorhouse. I've seen them driven to psychiatric help. I've seen them just lose every part of themselves in order to make a man feel like a man. And I did not want that. Gender does not make you a leader. Gender does not make you all-knowing. It does not make you smart. And it does not make you worthy of my body or everything that comes with my body. So as I began to explore kink more, I realized the power of submission and finding someone you can fully trust with your desires and your pleasure. One of the mainstream ideas about kink is that people, again, they're in like leather and latex and chains and they're beating people up and they're calling you names. And there is all of that there, you know, a little bit. (laughs) Um, But consent and communication is the most important part of any type of kinky relationship. You can't just walk up to somebody and say, I'm going to make you my bitch. I mean, you know, just ask me first. Can you do that? And like, if you do ask me, I'm going to give you a list of my hard and soft limits. And then we can discuss what exactly being your bitch means. My exploration as a dom helped me get in touch with my submissive side and learn to accept it more. Sometimes I am tired of being in control and holding everything together with like, a wish and a piece of tape. Sometimes I want someone who's going to help me shake off the stresses of my day with a really good, solid caretaking session, which may or may not include an orgasm that makes you say, thank you, daddy. And there are all kinds of levels of submission. And I think a lot of people get skeeved out by the daddy and the littles thing. Littles are submissive and daddies are the dominant. And it's not always about body shapes or sizes. There are a lot of 6'4 subs out there with 5'4 doms. 
People think calling an intimate partner daddy or mommy is an incest thing or it shows you have parenting issues. And again, maybe those things are true, but you can hold multiple truths at one time. I found that we don't really have the language for an adult authority figure who wants to take care of you and also get you off. So we fall back on the words that we do know, which are daddy and mommy and master and mistress. You can call me mistress or ma'am or goddess. That's fine. I am not an expert on all of this stuff. So I decided to turn to someone with more expertise than I have to find out what it is about submission that feels so good. I reached out to Lena Dune, a.k.a. Ask a Sub, a kink and BDSM educator and advice giver. She answered some questions about her day-to-day routine how being in the lifestyle helped her set boundaries at work, and about creating an internet community for other subs and a lot more. I hope you have your headphones in. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, a secure online counseling service. They connect you with licensed counselors through their secure app, letting you message with your therapist and schedule live phone or video sessions. You can also message your counselor in between sessions if you're worried about something or think of a topic you want to cover in your next call. Because BetterHelp wants to help you find the best therapeutic match possible, it's easy and free to switch counselors if you need to. And BetterHelp is also more affordable than traditional counseling, with financial aid available. Once more, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and this is good for you listeners. Get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash thisisgood. That's betterhelp.com slash thisisgood for 10% off your first month. This podcast is sponsored by Beatrix Green, a new podcast from Realm. Beatrix Green makes her living by playing pretend. She knows the seances she conducts are fake, but financial freedom for a single woman in Victorian England is hard to come by. So when notorious scientist James Walker makes her a proposition, proves that ghosts are real once and for all for a hefty price, she cannot resist the temptation. Written by New York Times bestselling author Rachel Hawkins, this historical horror story is absolutely for fans of Victorian England, Sherlock Holmes, and Crimson Peak. Listen to Beatrix Green, B-E-A-T-R-I-X-G-R-E-E-N-E, every Monday, available wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Lena Dune. I go by Ask a Sub on Instagram, where I make uh, kink-centered memes and I give uh, relationship advice to people who are interested in dom-sub play, which is a uh, part of BDSM. I actually just recommended your IG account to a good friend of mine who, you know, she's been having some experiences with the dom in a way that she was not used to. And so she was telling me recently about going into subspace. And I was like, okay, well, you need to go to this account. She does a QA and a every Friday. And also in her highlights on her Instagram account, she has some of those questions that she has like a highlight all about subspace. 
For our listeners, can you tell them what is subspace, what we're talking about when we talk about subspace? Yeah, totally. Subspace is, um, it's really interesting because it's an agreed upon phenomenon within the community. Everybody's like, subspace exists, but it shows up for every person in a different way. So when you're in a BDSM scene, no matter what you're doing, if you're exchanging power, there's something kind of magical that happens where whoever's the sub can enter this sort of altered mental state where they're kind of floaty and don't have as many thoughts in their head. And it's kind of like a relaxed flow state. But, you know, sort of the science behind it, as we understand it, is like it's like a mix of endorphins and adrenaline that make it feel um, like a runner's high or a yoga high. And yeah, it takes you to another place. But finding a partner to handle it right and to sort of hold you properly when you're in it is definitely a component because you don't want to just be floating out in outer space without somebody there to like hold you down. I would liken it to kind of this ecstatic moment of, you know, yes, you kind of leave your body and you become really overwhelmed by the sensations and the pleasure that you're experiencing. And it just kind of if you're unfamiliar with it or if you have someone who is not well versed in being there with you or for you, it can be a little scary and you have to kind of like figure out how to bring yourself back down to earth, so to speak. Totally. And it can show up in so many different ways. Like I've known subs who cry all the way through subspace and they're like, I'm having a great time. All I wanted was a good cry. And then there are others that giggle. There are others that go totally quiet. And this can change depending on like the chemistry of the day or the partner that you're with. But, you know, when you use it properly in the right sort of contained structure, it can be really nice to just let go and not be in charge for a second. Yes, we're going to come back to that. (laughs) Um, So you are in a 24-7 relationship. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me if you remember, what was the first time that you saw in like mainstream pop culture, a submissive role or character that kind of spoke to you that made you go, hmm, that's interesting? (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I saw it in pop culture at first. I saw it in fan fiction first. And Mm. um I was very online in my high school years. And at that point, fan fiction, I feel, was mostly or the ones that I was reading were mostly being written by fellow 14 and 15 year olds that had no idea how sex worked. And they were like, here's a dom sub dynamic. And I knew there was something interesting about the words and the feelings that came with them. But it wasn't until much later that I learned about, you know, safe practices and not just sort of the fantasy of like a fan fiction. And how did you research those things? Yeah, it's interesting because the process of research um, and part of why I started doing my work online is very led by doms. And it's very led by usually cis male doms with like a certain degree of privilege who are just like, this is how it is. And subs come crawling and kiss my boot. And, And so a lot of the education that I was finding was really like I read it and I was equally like leaning forward in interest and like leaning back and like, oh, I can't do that. That's not right for me. Or like I'm on this website with this really dark, creepy background and, you know, like a pixelated candle burning on the side. And I just felt like this is so hard for me to like extrapolate into my own life. But once I started getting into books that were written more from the submissive perspective or by women and more into like the queer spaces, like workshops and stuff, it all started to click for me that every part of it was sort of 
custom and you could make it be whatever you wanted. I mean, like a really good book that I found was Conquer Me by Casey Cunningham, which is from a submissive perspective about like a ongoing DS dynamic. And while there was still like a lot of fantasy in that book, it was still sort of getting down to like, this is what it feels like. This is what it's like in your day-to-day life and not just like this sort of creepy dungeon energy. (laughs) Yeah, I have dabbled in the life, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And that is something that when I was researching, I kept finding doms who... I don't know. It seemed like they were equating the lifestyle to, I don't, devil worship or like some sort of, (laughs) like there's like this weird kind of like heaven hell stuff with it or whatever. And it's just like, yes, that's not necessarily what I want to go to. Like this kind of a goth thing or a Marilyn Manson thing or something like that. And as a black woman, I did not necessarily feel safe in those kinds of spaces for a lot of reasons. And then, like you mentioned, it's so dom-oriented or dom-centered, a lot of this stuff. And the language was a little off-putting. So I think a lot of people also think when they think of a submissive, they think it's just this Usually a woman who is very meek, who keeps her eyes on the ground, you know, who has no thought in her head that her dom, her master or her mistress has not put into her head or whatever. What are like some things that you most often have to clear up, like some misconceptions that you most often have to clear up about being a submissive? There's something that I keep calling the window test, where if you look in at a dom sub scene from outside the window, you're probably seeing like what you just described as like a submissive with their eyes down if that's what they wanted to do and that's what they negotiated and maybe receiving impact play like spanking. And from outside the window, you might go, oh, that person has no power at all. That person is just being led around and being taken control of. But what you're missing from outside the window is that the sub is really enjoying it or maybe the sub just came home from like their long corporate job and they're like, please, for the love of God, take control. Somebody be in charge other than me, you know, and they just want a moment to release and relax. And the other really interesting thing is I think we are so fixated on power as a culture and so fixated on um, total egalitarianism as the only way of showing respect that we see a submissive and we see them doing something different than the dom and we're like, is that person being respected? And we worry about that. But I think a really great part of BDSM and BDSM negotiation is saying, like, I want to be treated in this way. Can you do it for me? And the person who ideally, you know, respects and appreciates you is like, yes, I can do it for you. And how would you like that to be done? And that all happens prior to the whatever the play is going to be and whatever it's going to look like. There's that like baseline of reciprocity and respect. Mm hmm. You've talked a couple of times, you've mentioned a couple of times now, like this letting go. Like you come home from work where you are the traditional worker bee kind of person, Mm -hmm. right? And you're just, sometimes you just want to let go and not have to think about that. Let's talk about the pleasure in letting go. And is that what appeals to you about being a sub? Yeah, there is so much pleasure in letting go and it never gets old for, for me because I I think I found, you know, I wasn't always a sub and I wasn't always doing this like really coherent BDSM. And I felt prior to this, like in vanilla sex that with men primarily and with women, but that I had to perform 
like being cool and like being really in charge and like knowing what's up and I'm experienced and blah, blah, blah. And that wasn't always true, but I felt this huge imperative in sex to like view myself from the outside and how I was coming off and all of that. And part of BDSM for me and the appeal is to just know in my heart that if I'm doing something and my dom isn't telling me to do something else, I'm doing it right. And I don't need to be like performing in that way or viewing myself from the outside. So it's like a really cool kind of hack into being more like embodied and just not observing myself as I would do out in the world, as I would do at work, as I would do, you know, in an interaction with like a barista. It's like, how am I coming off? But as a sub, you get to sort of drop that concern, which is lovely at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) I recently wrote a piece about WAP when it first came out, the Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion song. And I think you like took a snippet of it and shared it because I was talking about where Cardi B is talking about being on the receiving end of all of this pleasure. And so, you know, I saw a lot of people talking about, well, she's just taking it. She's being passive or she's being submissive. And it's like, but if you pay attention to the lyrics, she is reveling in the power because her partner needs her to be submissive. And she is the one who's making him lose control in her role as submissive. Yeah, I think that's something else people don't seem to understand, that there's still power in submission. Totally. Oh, I mean, we we live in a culture that, you know, as we know, like very driven by power and empowerment, you know, patriarchy, capitalism, white supremacy. Like we're in this cage of like, I must be powerful and externalize it in this very like masculine way. I mean, masculine in terms of like energy, you know, this certain way. And when you're able to subvert that, the taboo of it is so extreme, I feel, to people. Like, this person is willing to give over power to a dom. And as the dom receiving that power, it's like, whoa, this is really different and feels not allowed compared to what happens outside the door of, you know, the bedroom. So I think there's total power in knowing yourself well enough to do the thing that's not expected and do the thing that, you know, being on your back, looking up at the person who's exerting power over you and being like, yeah, I'm letting this happen because I, you know, enjoy it and I'm providing this experience for both of us. So, yeah, I really related to that moment in WAP as with many other moments in that song (laughs) because iconic. (laughs) And it's, The consent is very important, which, you know, I deleted the dating apps like halfway into the pandemic because I was just so tired of it. But I noticed that a lot of times and I'm I'm looking at men on these apps. So I see these men identifying themselves as doms and they're just being really non-consensual about it. Basically, (laughs) you know, they're just like, you're going to do this and you're going to do this and you're going to do this. And it's like, no, we haven't talked about that. You don't know. (laughs) You don't know my heart limits. You don't know my soft limits. Mm -hmm. So what are some red flags that people (laughs) should pay attention to on these vanilla dating apps, right? The regular dating apps that are out there when someone is trying to advertise themselves as a dom or a master or mistress. Yeah. And they're definitely everywhere on the vanilla apps. And they're also everywhere within the community because I think people 
have this sort of received notion of what dom sub play is from porn and Fifty Shades of Grey and just like whatever. And if they haven't backed that image up with research, then they're kind of just flying blind. And if I'm a sub and I know, okay, if I meet a dom, I need to talk about my limits. I need to negotiate. I need to talk about how they're going to take care of me after the scene is over. And I hear someone saying I'm a dom. I might hear that and say, oh, then they know what I'm talking about because I've done my research and they must too. So we use the term fake dom to talk about these people who are out there. And it's primarily men in the dom title who are like, I like to, you know, and excuse me, but like, I like to fuck from behind really hard and slap somebody's ass and that's being a dom. And it's like, well, that's not, (laughs) that's not the whole picture. So yeah, there's a lot of telltale signs with these people though, where you can pretty quickly on a dating app suss it out. Like, first of all, if somebody approaches you and is like, I'm your dom, like kneel for daddy. And like immediately it's like, well, we haven't negotiated that you can talk to me like that. So that's an unmatch. Um, But if you get further in, there's little subtle things I think that you can do to sort of like intentionally awaken the toxic masculinity behind the fake dom exterior and see, you know, what is there. So like, I think a really great question to ask somebody who you're feeling weird about is like, what are your limits? Because every dom who has been in the scene or has done research or been in a workshop has limits. Like every dom has limits. But I think that the toxically masculine fake doms are going to be like, what do you mean limits? I have no limits. And then that's like, okay, thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) I'll see Mm -hmm. myself out. And then another really great question would be like, what's your aftercare practice? And that refers to like the moment after the scene where somebody's like, you know, holding you, cuddling, having snacks. And that's just that moment to sort of take the intensity of like subspace, for example, and have a bridge back to the real world. And so if you say, what's your aftercare practice? I think a lot of these fake doms would be like, I don't need that. You don't need to do that. Or like, I'm so good that you won't need aftercare. Like some weird disjointed thing that discounts the importance of aftercare. So those are two good little like tests. What is something that you had to unlearn in order to accept that you were submissive, that you were a sub? I mean, what didn't I have to unlearn? There's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff. I initially came to submission thinking that I wanted to get spanked and spanking is a punishment. So I need to be really bratty and act out to get it. And that gave me a stomach ache. Like I would literally, it was like I would be sick after a scene because I did not want to have heavy conflict or medium conflict or any kind of conflict, but I wanted the sensation. So I would go into these scenes and be like, ooh, what are you going to do about it? And that was not my personality at all. And so with my current partner, I've discovered that like, if I'm good, then I get spanked or like if I'm thoughtful, then I get tied up. And there's sort of this more reciprocal relationship between I'm getting what I want because I'm being the way that I authentically want to be as opposed to like performing this sort of like mouthy schoolgirl archetype that I thought was the only way to do submission. Yes, <laughs> um, <laughs> because so like I said, I, I dabbled and I tried it because again, I was like I started on these apps a while ago and I noticed that a lot of particularly white men were just coming to me and asking me to dominate them. And I was not very comfortable with it. But then I was like, why do they keep asking me? Let me explore that. 
So I did. I started this relationship with this guy that I nicknamed Baby Sub. And I realized that it is definitely, it's work. It is work being in this type of relationship. It is not just pulling his hair and spanking him. Mm -hmm. Particularly because what he wanted was a total power exchange. He wanted to be a slave to me. Like he wanted me to tell him everything from the time he should wake up in the morning to what he should wear and that kind of thing, which is not what I necessarily wanted because I kind of wanted to be at a point where I did not have to make those kinds of decisions every moment of my life. I had to be in control everywhere else and then also here. And I think that that is something that a lot of people don't realize, you know, they think it is that pulling hair and spanking ass thing and that's it. But it is so much more. And there are different levels to being a sub and different levels of being a dom. So when you were trying to figure out where you were and you were realizing that the bratty sub was not going to be for you, was that something that you discussed with your dom at the time? Or was that, again, something that you kind of had to research on your own to figure out where you fit in that range? So at the time that I was doing the bratty sub thing, I was with a partner who I would describe as vanilla, who was just sort of importing randomized BDSM themes into sex that had no negotiation or aftercare. So that was like sort of a proto sub time for me where I was just kind of like doing stuff. But yeah, with my current partner, I went in and I would never have expected this outcome of like being good and letting my guard down because I had not had experiences with men that made me think that that was possible for me. I did not think like, you know, I don't have to be in a constant power struggle to make them respect me. Um, so finding out like, oh, there can be respect without me having to be constantly doing this like assertive thing that I had put on and taking that off I found underneath like oh you know I actually do like you know making my partner a cup of coffee and giving them a kiss in the morning which like and you know we're talking about me in my like early 20s when I was first subbing I would have thought like well that's not feminist because I'm not supposed to you know do anything for you know a man that looks like what my parents would have done but then finding that like the good girl archetype underneath it was really strange because it ended up like affirming that like I am basically good at my core and I don't have anything to atone for and I'm not you know just as a perfectionist myself I'm like constantly feeling like I'm falling short but then when I'm in my dynamic or I'm in my in a scene I'm like I am doing a good job and just getting to discover how that feels without anything on top of it has been really nice and unexpected because you go into kinky sex thinking like I'm this like tough badass and I'm gonna like have this crazy experience and then what it turns out is like I'm essentially good and lovable is like it's a strange outcome <laughs> but great <laughs> and your current relationship is 24 7 and you work right yeah we've been together while I've had like a serious nine-to-five job and so how do you hold those two mindsets when you're at work but you're also still needed to do whatever your check-in is or whatever your protocol is during the day? How are you able to manage that? Because I think a lot of people, that's also hard for them to understand. Like, how can you be 24-7 and yet still present a very vanilla, very, like, personality at work? You know, how can you hold those two ideas? 
Yeah, initially we had more of like check-ins and more of contact during the workday. And then I just found that it was a lot like juggling. It was a big reckoning for me because I was an assistant to a really overbearing boss at the time where I was <laughs> I was doing non-consensual submission in a lot of ways in my career where I was like anticipating somebody's needs and being everything they needed and like being perfect and, you know, guessing what kind of coffee they wanted before they needed it so that they wouldn't yell at me and working in that kind of toxic environment and then finding, oh, this is what consensual service or whatever looks like with an intimate partner and recontextualizing that for myself made work look totally inappropriate. Like it made it look like the emotional toll that was being taken by being expected to do these things outside my job description to keep my boss happy was like, oh, this is gross. So I I think that symptomatic of my DS relationship, I became like more assertive at work and more honest and less willing to be constantly appeasing out of this sort of anxious space. And yeah, ironically, I feel like it made me lose access to like a lot of the things that were helping me do well in that environment because I was like, this feels inappropriate. So in terms of like service to my dom, we found that it just like it made things a lot easier if I just had autonomy during the workday and then I was able to come home and do our dynamic. So, you know, nothing more than like, hey, this thing just happened. Oh, that's so crazy or whatever, like normal sort of texting. And then the serious dom sub stuff would happen after I came home. When did you realize that you wanted this to be something that was 24-7 and it wasn't just like a certain time? Because a lot of people are just like, this is my life, but only in the bedroom. This is strictly just like when we cross this threshold, this is when we can play. And then when I leave, I'm, you know, it's over with. I think it came on really gradually because I was just sort of discovering that relating to my partner with negotiated limits and safe words and an expectation that we would communicate our needs in the same way we would do sexually, we would do about emotions, that just never was unappealing. It was like, well, let's just continue to build it using the tools of BDSM. Let's build this relationship and see how it goes. And like one outcropping of that that I think has been really interesting and I tell people about and they're like, you can do that. But um, like we've negotiated that we'll never raise our voices at each other when we're upset or at all. I'm like a rescue dog around raised voices. I'm like, don't do this. No, 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 no. Like I'm like start to run in the next room. Yeah. So like we have been able to negotiate and communicate around limits like that. And that's sort of what our 24-7 has sort of turned into is it's a lot more just like mindfulness and thoughtfulness around communication than like, you know, every single day I must do A, B, and C, which I do. Like I have like a daily meditation practice that I have to hold myself accountable to. And I have, um, you know, certain like I want to go for a walk certain times a week. And um, that stuff is great. But I think the core of living at 24-7 is so much more about like extrapolating those negotiation skills and just using them in daily life. And how does your partner feel about you running this account? Because that is you in a, I don't know, a leadership position. And maybe some people think, oh, as a sub, you're not supposed to be the leader of anything. How did you approach that with your partner? It just, it has been happening very quickly and slowly at the same time, pretty gradually. So he's gotten a chance to get used to it. And he's, um, 
he's a very private person, so he's comfortable with it to the extent that, like, I do have my anonymity. And I feel the same way. Like, I need my anonymity to feel like I have license to just be like, and here's what I did the other night. And here's how it feels when I have anal sex. And blah, 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 blah. You know, like, I can do that <laughs> if as long as it's not, like, connected to, you know, my face or my family or whatever. But he is constantly saying, like, well, this is just, like, the natural progression for you. And it just makes so much sense. And he's really proud. And he actually said something to me really early on in our relationship. And looking back on this, I can see (laughs) it was a risk. But I wrote him like a little book of poetry when we were first seeing each other, like about all of my feelings. And like, you know, we would have a scene and he'd be asleep and I'd be on my notes app, like gushing with all of this like imagery about how it felt. And so I like put this into a little booklet for him and I gave it to him like pretty early on when we were seeing each other like a couple months in and he read it and as he was reading it I was like oh my god like this is like such an intense move on my part to give somebody a book of poetry about them and wasn't something I'd ever done and he finished reading it and he was like you're gonna mainstream submission and I was like what and he's like you're gonna publish you're writing about this and you're going to do this. And I'm like, what are you talking? Like really early on. And, you know, he was always like, write more poems. And I didn't write more poems, but I did start making memes and I've been able to connect to a fair amount of people with the submission (laughs) stuff. So he likes to say that, you know, he predicted it. So he deserves all the credit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, one of the things that really bothers me, and again, it's usually on these apps or as I'm getting to know somebody, They seem to confuse me knowing what I want with me being a dominant person or me being very aggressive. And I, after some experimentation and like figuring out stuff, I realize I'm more of a switch that I can be dominant when I want to, but I also want to be baby sometimes. (laughs) So what would you advise people to respond to someone trying constantly mislabeling them and refusing to allow them to live their truth in whatever their identity may be. That anecdote just drew a sigh out of me from like the deep <laughs> depths of my being. It's so frustrating. And, and it's a thing. Yeah. When people can't square the idea of you being assertive and specific with you wanting to be a sub, then they are missing the treasure that's right in front of them. Because so many doms that I talk to tell me about subs approaching them and just being like, do whatever you want to me. And the Dom is like, Ugh, I don't know what to, <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. That's dangerous. So knowing your limits, knowing your boundaries, being able to express explicitly what you want is not anti-submissive at all. It's empowered submission. It's active submission. And that's the kind of submission that a Dom who is excited about a real sub is going to be psyched about. So I think, you know, it's just... Every time that somebody responds poorly to your boundaries, they're expressing that they are benefiting from you not having boundaries. And in some way, if somebody's like, well, you can't be specific and be a sub, they're just telling you that they can't be specific about being a dom and they feel threatened. So it's maybe it's not it's not the right person or not the right time. But I just think like no matter what, you know, if you're wanting to sub or you're wanting to switch or you're wanting to dom, it's so important to just hold true to exactly who you are and not believe that there wouldn't be somebody out there that would want to play with it because, you know, specificity and clarity is where it all begins. So you can't start without that. So the purpose of the show is to talk about all the ways that we find pleasure in life. So what is it about being submissive that feels good to you, that brings pleasure to your life? I think it shows me 
in the most embodied way, it shows me what I can do and what I'm capable of. Like the other night I was going through like an impact scene where I'm getting a writing crop and a slapper and a paddle and a blah, 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 and going on and on until I'm all pink. And when you're sort of in that space of like I'm receiving physical pain right now that like probably a lot of people would not enjoy that, but my body takes that in and goes like, yes, <laughs> to me, like that knowledge of like, look what I can do. It really gives me a sense of just being really alive and knowing that I'm making the most of like these moments where I have like a physical body, which, you know, not to get dark, but like we won't always be like as fit and as you age and and whatever, like having the ability to use what you have today to the fullest. It's just extremely pleasurable. It's like for me, like I get a lot of pleasure from like eating ice cream and that's like using my senses. And I think submission is just using your senses in a really particular way. I love that. I love the <laughs> idea of just using your body, using your senses, whatever is available to you in order to experience life to the fullest in that particular moment and being very present. We also need to say that, you know, there's room for everybody, regardless of your physical abilities and your gender identity. There's room for everybody. And I think because we only see certain expressions either portrayed in mainstream media or like given a boost through something like fan fiction. It can be a bit limiting and people aren't aware that there are spaces for everyone. And it just it does take a little bit of research sometimes to find what you need. Um, and it's also OK to say this is not for me. And just because it's not for me does not necessarily mean that I am kink shaming. Mm -hmm. On that topic, like there's an image of subs as only wanting pain play and that pain is the definition of a sub. And there's no one kink that makes you kinky. Like you don't have to have any interest in pain at all. And like, as you know, many of our disabled kink advocates say in the community, the archetype of a sub as being somebody who's an impact bottom is ableist. And that's like an assumption that all subs are able to play with pain or don't live with chronic pain. And it's the same with any one facet that like there's no one kink that makes you kinky. And on the flip side, it's like as you're discovering yourself, like you just said, if you find something that's not for you, it's not like, well, like I can't be here. It's like, no, you only need, you know, one little toehold and then you can explore your own corner of BDSM. You don't need to be doing, you know, you can be a vegan and not want there to be leather. You can, you know, you can be queer and want to play with or without queerness or, you know, themes around gender or whatever, you can sort of find your own corner and anybody that's telling you that you must do it in ABC way is just they have a limited imagination. Exactly. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day and talking to me. I really appreciate this. Where can our listeners find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at AskASub, all one word. You can find me writing long form advice and like a, sort of an advice column and um, hosting a Discord community for kinky people on Patreon, which is patreon.com slash AskASub. And then I have an online course all about starting and maintaining a dom sub dynamic. And that you can find through my Instagram. It's called Conscious Kink. So I'm everywhere. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. It's time for the indulgences, the small things that you can enjoy without fear of guilt. 
pleasure is not a sin. I like to sit in the dark. I mean, I love big windows and I love the sun coming in during the day. But when it's nighttime, I want it to be night. Whenever I'm trying to relax, I usually light some candles, especially if they're scented. But then I got my cat and she's really nosy and she gets the zoomies and she knocks shit over all the time. And I was just like, I can't have this cat spilling wax everywhere. And I did not want to be looking like I was back in the dorm room with like lights around my ceilings. So I asked some people, what could I do to help set the mood in my apartment? And not just, you know, yes, it's for me to relax, but also, you know, sometimes when I have company, I want there to be some pretty lighting without necessarily just like turning on the light in my kitchen over the stove because that just seems real country. Um, So (laughs) I decided to get some flameless candles. These are candles that are battery operated. They usually have a remote that come with them. I love them. Some of them are like, there's like real wax around them some kind of way. I don't know exactly how that works, but they have real wax around them. So they feel like candles, but they're just like little LED bulbs or little light bulbs. I got a bunch of rechargeable batteries again to try to like save the environment, save my pockets, all that stuff. And that's what I have been using. I have them set up in my living room and I have some set up in my bedroom. I got a set of nine the first time. They're lovely. You can make the candles flicker so it looks like it's an actual real candle if you want. Or you can just have a straight flame that's just going nonstop. You can program these bitches. I mean, I love these things. I use them every day now. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) fuck a booty call. (laughs) Fuck my bad nerves. I just want to look at these candles every day. (laughs) It's so, I don't know. It's just really fucking soothing. So I have them set up like some on my bar, some by my little reading nook. And again, I have them in my bedroom and you can time them. You can set a timer for like the ones in my bedroom come on at 1030 and they stay on for like two hours. And I know that when the candles go out after those two hours, I should be asleep by that point. It's just a really neat addition into my life. I highly recommend them. If you're a person who's into candles, but don't want to deal with accidents, especially if you're a person who's prone to leave your house with candles still going, get you some flameless candles, battery operated. They come with a remote usually, or look for the ones that come with a remote so you can program them. You can set up a timer. I mean, really like one of the most economical decisions that I've made in a very long time and also just very soothing to my nerves. So flameless candles, set the mood, relax yourself, time yourself when you're getting in the bed with them. It's perfect. Get you some. This is your indulgence. You have been absolved. This is Good For You is hosted by me, Nicole Perkins, and produced by Multitude. Our lead producer is Eric Silver. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. And our executive producers are Amanda McLaughlin and me. Our theme was created by Don Will. And our art is by Jessica E. Boyd. You can follow the show at This Is Good Pod. And you can follow me at Tennessee Whiskey Woman. That's T-N, whiskey with an E, woman. And a huge thank you to everyone who supports the show on Patreon. Especially to our supporting producer-level patrons, Chelsea, Conchetta, Courtney, Elizabeth, and Amy Arrington. To 
get exclusive rewards like stickers, monthly playlists curated by me, and even custom drabbles written just for you. Join us for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash thisisgoodpod. This was good for me. Was it good for you?